Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, quite well tonight. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. I mean, we've got some sun here. It's, it's, it's been great. Yeah, no more talking about <laughs> rain. So what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking box wine out of a soda can. Really? <laughs> no, no, I've been sitting on the couch binge watching Always Sunny uh, all day, so I'm a okay. little bit hoarse from laughing. Um, mm. No, seriously, since it's, uh, since it's number harvesting season, I have made myself a harvest sling. Oh. Uh, which is, a, yeah, it's got a lot of booze in it. It's got uh, apple brandy, uh, Benedictine, vermouth, uh, what else? Um, herring. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really quite good. Some lemon and some ginger beer. It's a, it's a nice little change. How about you? What are you drinking? I'm having a new drink for me, a Havana sidecar. Uh, oh. So it's rum, Contro, and lemon juice. And this is a Mountain View uh, farmer's market lemon. It's great. Wait, the farmer's market has started back up? Oh, yeah. Oh, in exciting. Ours, yeah. ours in Redwood City here doesn't start till April. I had to go to Whole Foods to get my lemon. It was up and running, and it was nice and big and juicy and cheaper than Whole Foods, so I uh, can't ask for more. <laughs> the struggle is real, my friend. So mm. let's, get into, uh, let's get into these quarterly results. Yeah, I know is, this, is, this is like Christmas for you. I was just going to say, it's like Christmas for me. This is one of my favorite times. Uh, but it comes four times a year. Times a year. Yeah. It's pretty great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we've got a bunch of stuff here. Um, so going to try and go through not just uh, sequentially based on what they talked about in the letter earnings call, but uh, I think hopefully in, in the order of um, uh, what makes the most sense for how do we get to Model 3 uh, being in, in our listeners' garages most quickly um so we'll sort of oh, that's go quite a teaser what has to happen for that to happen um so <laughs> top line uh the big headline numbers um they did 2.2 billion in sales uh in the past quarter so q q4 uh, 2016 uh which represents uh, an 88 percent year-on-year uh growth rate on revenue so i'm not a fancy businessman but that sounds like a pretty good uh pretty good increase yeah, uh, 88% uh, year-on-year growth in any business is extremely impressive. And uh, to be doing it at um, in the billions of dollars of sales level is, is very, very strong. So um, that's you know, made up primarily by S&X and then also now uh, SolarCity being a part of that. So um, the automotive margin, um, which is essentially how much uh, they make as a result of the raw material costs versus what they sell the vehicles for and the labor that goes into making them, uh, 22.6%. So pretty strong gross margin on the vehicles. And so that, that's like fancy businessman talk for profit, right? Like you're the difference yeah, in, that's in like, what you're selling it for versus what it costs you to make it. Yeah. That would be the profit of your lemonade stand. If all you looked at was the uh, ingredient cost and the labor of making the lemonade. Um, Okay. And you're using non-GAAP accounting for your lemonade stand? Uh, we're going to use GAAP accounting in our, our, uh, in our lemonade right. stand and in our discussion as well. All right. Fair enough. Um, so how does 22 point, can you contextualize that for the automotive, other like people in the automotive industry? Where does, where does that put them? Oh, there's still a tiny, tiny, uh, tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Um, no, no, no. I mean, billion. I mean, uh, not, 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 uh, not the size of the, their market share, but, uh, like, a 22.6% margin. Like how does that stack oh. up against the margins of other car companies? Yeah, that would put them in the very top echelon uh, near Porsche. Um, so your Porsche 911s and, and Caymans are about the same 
margin. Um, some of the more popular brands are in the 10 to 15% margin range. And uh, the net margin on some of those companies ends up being in the 2 or 3% range. So um, definitely more premium than the majority. So very strong. They don't have work to really do on the uh, gross margin side. But we should, uh, we should anticipate that going down, though, with the, with the Model 3, right? Like, do they have a, a target margin for the Model 3? They expect it will be between 20 and 25% for Model 3 as well. Oh, so it's not going down at all? Nope. Um, yeah, so they, they anticipate, that's why they think they're going to, one of the reasons why you could imagine Tesla being a very valuable company, uh, even just on the automotive side is that they will have margins like the premium car companies like a Porsche, but have volumes much, much higher. Um, so yeah. And so this, they ended up having a loss though, uh, of $121 million. Um, the previous quarter they had a slight profit, uh, this time they had a slight loss, um, and, uh, primarily due to increased, uh, capital expenditures, um, and just the continued ramp up, um, for, for model three. Uh, but even though they lost money, one of the fun, uh, accounting things that happens, uh, they did actually increase their cash by $309 million in the quarter. So they ended <laughs> with a bank account with more money in it than when they started. Uh, the three-month period. So they currently have $3.4 billion in cash. Wow. Yeah. And is that, is that something they're holding on to to, to fund the build-out of the Model 3 facilities, or is that uh, just an unrelated accounting phenomenon? Uh, no, they, um, they have been getting slightly better deals, which we'll talk about with some of their suppliers. So um, they have not had to spend as much cash to get some of the equipment, um, but they will have to pay for it this upcoming quarter and the quarters thereafter. So um, they are actually going to need quite a bit. They might need some more money, which we'll talk about. But um, the $3.4 billion uh, is, is not quite enough for what they're going to need, even for Model 3, um, it looks like. So um, impressive amount. Um, they had raised a few billion dollars uh, in the past few quarters. Um, so they expect they generally need about a billion dollars um, in the bank to feel comfortable. and. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about it, but I think, uh, it, it's a, it's a healthy amount, but, um, they're probably going to need more, more cash than that, even to continue with model three. Um, one of the, one of the questions that came out and, and people continually question is, uh, is Elon Musk committed to Tesla? Um, primarily because it's unusual for a CEO to be part of two companies, uh, as the CEO of two companies. Um, <laughs> not many folks have done that and most notably, uh, Steve Jobs did it for a little while, um, and, uh, and Jack Dorsey is doing it with Twitter and Square. Um, <laughs> there, there have been some other instances, but those are the two in the tech world that come to mind. Um, and so Elon being the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, uh, especially as the Mars program uh, continues to gain influence, one of the analysts asked, is your intention to stick around with Tesla? And uh, his answer was kind of classic Musk. It was, I expect to remain with Tesla essentially forever unless someone kicks me out. Um, so <laughs> does that mean uh, you know, that the boring company is going to be part of Tesla or does he not anticipate that taking up all of his time? Uh, he does not anticipate that taking up all of his time. And it looks like, uh, I think we'll have probably an episode on the boring company shortly. Um, but, uh, it may be a separate entity or it may be part of SpaceX. Um, so still, still to TBD, um, what will happen there, but, uh, you know, <laughs> so they're going to go to outer space and inner space. Yes, in inside the planet. Um, 
So let's let's talk about Solar City. I think it's probably the least interesting part of uh, of what's been happening in the past few months. Not to say that uh, renewable solar energy is not great. Uh, I just don't think it's what we should spend the most of our time on this particular episode. Um, so we'll cover it pretty quickly. Uh, they did about one hundred and thirty one million dollars in revenue um, this quarter, um, which was which was strong. Uh, they deployed um, 201 megawatts of uh, solar panel generation and 98 megawatts hours of the energy storage products. When um, you say so, 201 megawatts of energy generation, is that like theoretical maximum? Mm-hmm. Not like a consistent like baseline of what gets generated? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the rated amount of the solar panels that they installed. Okay. That's how they uh, account for it or, or at least report it. Um, so Solar City used to have their own earnings call when they were an independent company. They had their own earnings um, uh, papers and documents, and Tesla basically consolidated them into a few lines in their earnings release. Um, and there were like almost no questions about it, maybe one or two on the call. So they were able to remove a lot of the complexity and just sort of simplify it. And I think, you know, 131 million out of 2 billion. Uh, it's just not a huge contributing factor, even though there was all that uh, concern about what Tesla, uh, Solar City would do to Tesla. Um, yeah, the indignities of, of uh, acquisition and absorption. Yeah, and one of the concerns, if you remember, was that uh, people were concerned it was a cash-burning uh, dumpster fire. Um, and essentially, <laughs> uh, Tesla was like, no, 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 it's actually not because we're moving from leases to lending, and we'll get the cash right away instead of the uh, assets and liability being on our balance sheet um, for for the duration, so Solar City actually added seventy seven million dollars in cash for the six weeks that it was actually part of Tesla during this um, quarter. So you know, just trying to stick it to people, saying uh, Solar City burns cash. Uh, Solar City added seventy seven million dollars to the cash balance of Tesla during its time so far, and the primary reason, as I just alluded to, was. Uh, as we had talked about in our previous Solar City episode, they previously were doing leases to folks, and now uh, because of the financial, um, the amount of debt the company has to take on to uh, be the lessor for those, they've decided to go to loans. And in the fourth quarter, uh, 28% of the solar capacity was, uh, was sold rather than leased, and that's up from 4% in the same period last year. So they went from 4% sold loans to 28%. So you can see that's a pretty steep trajectory of transitioning customers who are buying these panels to buying them uh, and using a third-party loan. Does Tesla have um, a like financing arm? Like, I guess for, for cars, like, are they financed through a third-party or is there like a Tesla capital kind of like, like GM and GMAC? Um, is, there, is it all part of the same thing or, or are they, like, I guess that my question is, is the solar... If they're funding solar loans, are they also funding car loans or, or what's going on there? Yeah, they do some of their own primary uh, leasing, which is essentially their own loan. Uh, but the majority is third parties. Um, so other people they partnered with, but the, uh, the similar way that Apple uh, does the um, iPhone upgrade program with uh, a third party bank, um, uh, Tesla has a preferred partners, but they aren't uh, actually holding the loan. Uh, so they don't have to front the cash for those. Someone else fronts the cash, and Tesla actually gets the cash um, for the which is, cars. But they are fronting now for lo- for the Solar City stuff. Is that what, is that? Am I no, even that the Solar no, even the Solar City stuff. They are working with third parties primarily. Oh, okay, all right, I understand. 
Got yeah, it. so they're getting cash from a third party right at the time of sale, where they previously were acting as the leaser and basically providing the loan um, to the client, and they get paid in installments very slowly over time. Okay, cool. Got it. Yeah, they, they do have some leases with the Tesla, but not too many, and they, they're trying to decrease it um, because they just don't have enough cash. Um, and one of the other things we found out is that it's very likely, and I think we already knew this, but um, at some point this year, the Solar City brand will go away and it will be renamed Tesla, uh, most likely Tesla Solar. Um, and that the solar gl- glass roof tile roofs, solar roofs, um, are still on track to come out at the end of this year. Um, and it's a pretty modest investment relative to the Model 3. It looks like it'll be a couple hundred million dollars of investment to get those finalized. And um, they have the Gigafactory 2, um, which they've now branded Gigafactory 2 in Buffalo, New York, where Solar City had a new plant they were building uh, to make these solar panels in conjunction with Panasonic. And uh, that is on track. So Solar City looks like it's, it's moving forward and um, the solar roofs will be coming out in the summertime, but um, not the major focus for Tesla management or their earnings letter for this quarter, for sure. Got it. And the, the, I got to say, the naming of the factories is a little uninspiring, I think. I think they could do better than just putting a uh, sequel number after Gigafactory. I feel like that's a little bit of a letdown. All right. I will. But I'm I sure that didn't factor that into the call. <laughs> okay, it did not. You. No one no one had questions about that one, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. But you, you're, huh, uh, that's weird. Your, complaint, your complaint has been filed. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to S&X, um, their legacy vehicles at this point, um, even though they have paved the way for where we are today, um, they got a small amount of uh, shout out in the letter and, and also in the call. Um, but... Uh, I do think it's important to reflect back on where they're at because as much as people are starting to sort of mm, just not be that excited about SNX because uh, everything's about Model 3, um, in Q4, they Tesla went to great lengths to point out that they actually received almost 50% more orders for SNX compared to the same time last year. So demand is still increasing. Um, and for a vehicle on the S, which is over four years old, and the X, um, which initially had some bad PR with their um, uh, general reliability issues and uh, concerns around the Falcon Wing doors and the overall generally high price, um, you know, they're increasing uh, sales and underlying interest is still strong. Uh, so if and they, they, oh, sorry, I was going to say, if they produced uh, or if they received 49% more orders, but they made 88% more revenue. Does that mean they're, they're selling more expensive vehicles? Yes. So they are both selling more expensive vehicles and you have to factor in that they uh, got a boost because of the solar city acquisition, which is inorganic growth. Um, So if you back out the solar city and also the energy products of like the storage for that Miraloma plant and Hawaii. Oh, okay. That was all in there. That was all, that's all in there. So that was sort of incremental. So those two factors combined, actually are are kind of um why why the revenue is higher than the order growth for for snx um and they actually produce 77 percent more vehicles uh this quarter than the same quarter last year um so they had a bad quarter last year so the comparable makes it look good but um they're just trying to tout out that it's not as if snx are zero uh, percent growth. They they are still growing uh, very quickly um, and and helping the business. And um, 
So they're, they're kind of pointing out that the three hasn't completely cannibalized the that there's too. been no no Osborne effect, I guess, on the on the SNX sales. Exactly. Yeah. And and that the revenue and the gross margin contribute contributed from the SNX are still really helpful to the company because all that gross profit they get, they just funnel right back in to uh, Model 3 production efforts. Um, and so what they're guiding towards for the first half of 2017 is 47 to 50,000 SNX deliveries, um, which would be, again, 60 to 70% growth over last year. Um, so they're expecting... What's interesting is they usually give a guidance for the entire year. Um, and a lot of people were curious what they would guide for the year because how, it would be a good indication of what they actually believe they're going to hit with Model 3. It's really easy to get up on stage and have big pronouncements about how much you're going to ship. Um, but when you have to give an earnings uh, estimate, uh, the rubber really meets the road in terms of your belief in your projections because missing analysts, your own expectations is a no-no on, on Wall Street. So <laughs> they hacked the problem by just saying, we're only going to talk about the first six months. And, oh, coincidentally, the first six months, there's no Model 3. So they're just guiding for SNX of um, 47 to 50,000 vehicles, which is about what the run rate they were on before uh, exiting the year. So they're not really going to be increasing production of SNX. It's just going to be sort of steady state of where they've been. So, so SNX have really tapped out on production, um, but it looks like demand is still strong, strong continuing. Um, so, so, so when it you say like it's... When you say it's continuing the trend, that means year over year there'll be growth, but it'll mm -hmm. just be the same sort of growth curve that they're on. Yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. And it looks like it, it's probably going to level out to around 100,000 vehicles a year, and, and they, that's sort of where it looks like it'll sort of stop, unless there's some dramatic improvement to SNX that changes the demand curve. But it looks like it's starting to level off. Do you know how that compares to comparable, comparable vehicles there in the, in the higher echelons of the uh, luxury vehicle market? Yeah, they're still the number one, and they have about 30% of the market share. So in the past four years, they went from 0% to around 30% of the large luxury sedan market. So um, it, it, no, very few car makers have more than 10% of any of their segments. Um, and so it's actually sort of an aberration that Tesla has so much of that market share. Um, and I think why Lucid and Faraday still think that's a valuable segment to go after. Um, if it was so easy for Tesla to walk in and take that from a luxury market. Um, so I don't think they actually have that much more headroom um, on SNX. And I, I do think three will cannibalize sales when it's actually available. Um, so it, it won't really matter because the volumes of three with good margin, they would rather, I mean, it, it's sort of like um, when, when Apple was, uh, had to cannibalize the sales of um, iPod. It's like, well, it's fine. We're still selling the same. We're still selling it, and we're going to sell a lot more iPhones than we did iPods. Um, so even though people might be concerned SNX volumes aren't going to go up, it really won't matter because if the margins are the same, um, they're going to be selling so much more volume, they'll literally make it up in volume. Um, it won't be a problem. <laughs> but to your point, it would be a problem if it dropped off to zero today uh, right. ahead of model three but it doesn't look like that's the case so um we can expect there'll be some updates to snx this year but um it doesn't seem as if it's going to be the story for the year and, and analysts don't seem that interested in snx there, there weren't many questions about its future product direction um at all on the call so um if you have an snx great um but if you're <laughs> planning to buy one maybe 
you know, I, th- I think they're, they, they would love to get you in one today before three comes out and you might get a slight priority or you will get a slight priority. But um, I think as we get closer and closer, there'll be more and more people thinking about whether or not they really want to get an SRX. So we might see more um, promotions to get people into SNS and Xs and perhaps more two-year leases. Um, so if you wanted to get a three today and you're not on the list, get an SRX for two years and then it'll be ready for you. I think we'll start seeing promotions like that pretty soon. Oh man, as long as they don't get any like dancing air tube men in front of the, or sign twirlers in front of their stores. When you, when you say car promotions, I get a little, a little concerned. Yep, for sure. Um, one of the things that came out of that as well is um, SNX is on, uh, one of the features of SNX is autopilot. And autopilot will be certainly a part of Model 3. And uh, one of the analysts asked the question about what happened with autopilot rollout because they, didn't act, they weren't able to recognize revenue, much revenue at all, from autopilot, the upgrade costs. Um, and so they asked about it. And what happened was essentially they had unanticipated software problems uh, making the transition from Mobileye. Um, and we got some new details. So if we remember, Mobileye used to be the software provider uh, and also one of the hardware providers for Tesla for autopilot. And Tesla's plan was to actually keep Mobileye uh, as a chip in the new cars with the new hardware and the NVIDIA uh, system. And they were going to have that sort of be in shadow mode. And so they would be able to continue to use the quality of Autopilot 1 while Autopilot 2 improved its quality silently in the background. And then they could make a smooth transition and then move Mobileye out when the software was at parity. And apparently, Mobileye was not cool with that idea. They refused. (laughs) And so uh, Tesla had to basically cut ties with them and fully commit to Tesla Vision. And they weren't at a place where they were ready to do that, um, as evidenced by the fact that they rolled out the hardware before the software was ready, and it seemed a little bit rushed, and the breakup with Mobileye did not seem amicable. And so they essentially had to just make that break. And uh, so because they didn't actually get that software out to many of those vehicles uh, until slightly after the new year, um, they weren't able to recognize the revenue. Um, And so that was one of the reasons why they pushed so hard to try and get out before December so they could actually recognize the upgrade revenue from those customers who had paid for the enhanced autopilot or full self-driving, but they weren't able to. Um, So we we got a little bit of clarity on that. And also, we know that Elon is actually using the high-speed auto steer, high-speed autopilot. Uh, He's been using it for the past three months. So all those folks on the forums and and people who have been... uh, making these sort of linear predictions that autopilot two won't get to the autopilot one levels for months or years. Uh, they, they have been able to have the vehicles run at high speeds. It's not as if they can't. Um, he just made it clear that they are continuing to use validation, uh, and internal testing and just be very, very careful in the rollout because it is a new system and they certainly don't want to, uh, get ahead of themselves and have, uh, God forbid an accident. Um, when they could have prevented it by just going a little bit more cautiously with their software rollout. So yeah, especially with their, with their CEO too. What do you, what do you think? I mean, Tesla must have like key person insurance on Elon Mm -hmm. Musk. Like what does that do to the premiums there? If he's running around as a alpha tester for their autopilot. I know for sure. I mean, he's using it and, and I I really want to know if he's even using, if he has a bill of this full self-driving 
Um, but my guess is he doesn't because that would require more reporting with California and we would know about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he said, um, he expects they'll get to, uh, around 85 miles an hour on both, uh, by next month and then, uh, get to parity, uh, with, with hardware one that time and then continue to improve. So it looks like we've got about a month, month and a half until, uh, Hardware 2 is at parity with autopilot, and then we'll start seeing those enhanced autopilot features start rolling out that are more um, impressive than what's possible. So that was good news. And, um, you know, just his tone on the call, he seemed disappointed that uh, they weren't able to have a better experience for customers. Uh, he, he used the term, uh, we had just had to sort of cross the Rubicon with uh, Tesla software. And, um, I thought he was going to make a Cortez burning the ships reference, but, um, he went with the Rubicon. <laughs> Do you think he actually uses his, his companies against each other? Like, does he go into Tesla and like berate everyone for not having autopilot ready and be like, my SpaceX people can land a rocket from space on a barge. Why can't we get a car to drive down the highway? I, I that it was funny is because remember before Chris Latner joined, we found out that the head of software from, um, SpaceX was moonlighting at Tesla. I mean, he, he was basically helping out as the CTO, the interim CTO. Um, and yeah, I think for anyone who doubts that, that autopilot will be, will be feasible, I think you just have to look at the fact that uh, now it's not Elon himself writing the code for SpaceX, but he oversees a company that has done something that no other rocket company has ever done by landing a rocket on a barge. And the precision required for that and the testing and validation and safety and just risk is so high that you have to imagine those principles and understanding of what it takes. He knows what it takes um, and he knows how to identify good software engineers. And they now have Chris Latner on their team, which we've done an episode on. So I think it is foolhardy to believe that Tesla doesn't have uh, the capability to do this. It's a matter of the amount of time that it's going to take. And uh, you can't rush really good software, uh, especially <laughs> software that hasn't yet existed and you can't just copy someone. So I'm not worried. I think it's just going to take time. And I think by the time Model 3 comes out, it will be in an incredibly good spot relative to where it is today. So I don't think people need to worry about having a really great experience with enhanced autopilot. I don't think it'll be fully self-driving, um, but I do think it will be able to do a lot of the driving for you uh, in many situations uh, and probably even be able to do some stoplight and, and stop sign stuff. Um, but you'll still need to monitor it. But I think that's still far better than it is for the majority of drivers today. So did they mention anything about the, so the hardware is, is similar in the model or will be similar in the Model 3 mm -hmm. um, that, as it is to the like current models of the SNX? Um, is the autopilot system is all of the learning that it's doing to the snx completely applicable or is there any sort of like specialization that needs to happen for the different like uh maybe size and performance characteristics of the of the model 3 is there did they mention anything about that yeah that's a really good question no one asked about that specifically on the call um i, I wish someone would one person who did ask about autopilot seemed to be confused by his answer so th these are not very technical people asking questions about this stuff on these earnings calls or they're, they're financial analysts. So it's fine. Yeah, but and we still they, haven't gotten our invite. So, yeah. right. Yeah. When we get on, we'll ask really great questions. Um, now I think the best indication that there, there is portability 
is that the X is clearly different dimensions, different ride height, um, and different physical layout than the S. And both of those vehicles are operating at, um, to the best of my knowledge, similar capabilities. Um, and so I think that the fact that they have those two vehicles running at the same time is a good indication that when they add the three, which will be more like the S in its you know, ride height, um, sorry, more, yeah, more like the S, um, that will transfer. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be some work to do there. Uh, and I'd be curious if they're doing that now. You know, in their simulations, they have uh, what the simulated camera angle is. Uh, right. I know that some of the car companies basically will take the uh, raw footage and then they adjust it to some ground truth angle uh, and basically warp the video feed to what they want to train on. And so, yeah, can they, can they warp the angle enough from SNX to get to a sort of constant baseline? Um, I would love to know the details of that, but um, there was no indication that 3 will be behind what SNX is capable of. Cool. That's good. So getting to Model 3, the statement in the uh, letter was Model 3 vehicle development supply chain and manufacturing are on track to support volume deliveries in the second half of 2017. So that is a reiteration of what they've been saying uh, for the past six months or so. So that's great in ink in their investor letter. Yep. Hoo-hoo. Um, and that also in early February, they began building Model 3 prototypes. Um, and they did some initial crash tests. And apparently did they say how are, many? They did Sorry, not. did they say how many? No. No, they didn't say how many. Uh, they used the word pl- they prototypes, so more than one. <laughs> more um, than one, all right. <laughs> and they did a crash test, um, and that's been positive so far. And uh, that all... Sorry, did they... I'm sorry, when you say did they crash test, uh, like submitted it to the agencies that do crash official crash testing, or they just did their own crash test? Uh, I'm guessing, I'm speculating that it was their own internal testing because uh, I don't think they would submit it until it was one of the production vehicles off the line. But, um, okay. uh, and yeah, they said all the Model 3 sourcing is on plan to support the start of production in July. Um, so that's a super high level that this would have been an opportunity if it were the case that Model 3 was starting to slip behind schedule, that they would have a responsibility to their investor community to tell the truth and say where they're at because... It does them no good to be late uh, later if they know they're going to be late today. Um, and they, they could potentially get into some financial problems uh, and legal problems if they were to mislead investors about their current status. So to the best of their ability and the best of their knowledge, those statements are true. So that's would you say good. That, would you say this was like kind of the last opportunity for them to, to make that claim? They have one more. They have next quarter. So Q1 will be January, February, March. Actually, they have two. They have January, February, March, next quarter, Q1. And then they have April, May, June. So they have two more quarters to start to back out of those targets. So <laughs> we're, not, we're not guaranteed that it's actually going to happen in July, as they said. Um, but we are at least one more official statement closer. Um, and we'll talk through some of the more details that give us more confidence that that's actually the case. Um, so I thought we could talk through sort of what it's going to take 
and what's happened to make Model 3 get to where it is um, in the context of new information that came out from the call and the earnings letter. Um, so basically, instead of just sequentially going through the call like we've sometimes done, uh, wanted to talk about it in more logical groupings, um, which will combine information from both of those sources uh, and, try and try and make it a little bit more um, topic area based instead of time code based. <laughs> um, awesome. So now we're moving into the manufacturing section of the of the program here. Yes. So one of the big topics that is clear is how will they they've had problems making cars in the past. They've had problems making cars on schedule in the past. How do they have confidence that they will be able to make Model 3 on schedule and at quantities that are in the end state, uh, 5x what they've been doing to date, uh, and 10x in you know, 2020. So the first thing they said was uh, there's a lot more automation in the production system than what they had for SNX. Uh, and so this goes back to that concept Elon's been talking about since he really started doing Model 3 uh, manufacturing layout was the machine that builds the machine. Um, and, and one of the examples they, um, they gave was that um, the, one, of, one of the things in automation is even in the current S and X line, even though they employ a lot of robots, there are still parts of the process where the operator has to... Um, have some level of craft and, and expertise in how they put in certain parts and it requires judgment. And then it was that amount of judgment that sometimes wouldn't be equally applied to every vehicle um, to what Tesla would have hoped. And as a result, um, the part wouldn't be put in correctly or it would be slightly off. And so they found out that that was actually problematic for them. And what they've done is in the building of the machine of the production process for Model 3 removed uh, or eliminated completely, like reduced or removed completely uh, parts of the manufacturing process where human judgment was needed, such that now it is purely about uh, the machine, the robots putting things together, or if a human operator is involved, it is how do you just put this bolt into this thing and have the <laughs> machine automatically tighten it um, versus like, you know, hand caulking something or hand welding something or, you know, positioning something such that there's still a lot of slop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Does, does that, uh, did you get a sense or did they give you a sense that any of this has to do with their um, acquisition of the robotics company? Was it last Last quarter or the quarter before? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Does that is that factor in here, or is that not really percolated through yet? Yeah, no. They uh, they did close the acquisition this quarter, so those are all now Tesla team members. And uh, yeah, they did say that the Groman engineering team has been helping, and Groman is expert in automation for factories, and so um, we believe very strongly that more and more of the processes that need to be automated, the Groman team will be helping Tesla figure out how to automate those processes. And one of the things also they said was that uh, Elon has refocused almost all of Tesla engineering, even the design engineering team, not just production engineers, but like the design team that builds the, you know, designs the engineering for the cars into the factory. So they're not like the majority of the engineers at Tesla now are not working on the next products, um, vehicle products. They're actually the majority of them are working on how to make the factory better. Um, so that's oh, so this is going to impact the Model Y. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it sounds like Model Y. He didn't even talk about Model Y for 2017. So I think Model Y is not 
going to be near term uh, at all. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have so many vehicles to make for Model 3. I mean, so they're not going to even finish this. They're not going to finish 2017. No way. There's no way 2017 (laughs) will end with all the vehicles done. And it looks like even 2018 might not be Model Y. Um, So... I can say for certain Model Y did not come out of Elon Musk's mouth at all on the earnings call. So it, it's not anywhere on his front of mind um, to get anyone excited about. Um, <laughs> one of the other things uh, he, he said is that he, he believes that um, the factory, the, he's trying to tell everyone in the company and externally that they, to think of the factory as a product. And that's why they're spending all this engineering and design time on designing the factory and how it builds things. Um, and that essentially his, his current view is that it's two orders of magnitude more complex than the, than the vehicles. Um, and, and so there's so much more room for optimization in the factory. Um, and one of the things that uh, JB was saying was that um, he's sort of been focused on the Gigafactory quite a lot and that the Gigafactory is actually extremely uh, efficient volumetrically and that uh, they've continued to be able to increase what they expect the, the gigafactory is going to be able to produce. Um, I think when it was in, initially conceived of, they thought it would do 35 gigawatt hours of, of cells and packs. And now they think it'll do over 100. So since they've conceived of it, they've found ways to get 3x more efficiency out of the gigafactory. Um, so I just thought it was really important um, that sort of overall manufacturing efficiency in just sort of the process of building the vehicles is really something they're focused on and that they pointed out model X being so challenging for them and really having to wrestle and put more, their smartest people on how to solve the model X ramp really illuminated where the design of the vehicle was conflicting with the production process for the vehicle. And so the the same people who designed the vehicle in such a way that it broke the production line got to use that to better build the model three and also then think about ways to design the production system such that it could build the Model 3. And it's sort of the idea of the hardware software in technology and in information technology. Uh, That sort of parallel just came to my head, essentially, of the idea that the people who are designing the vehicles, also thinking about designing the fixtures and the machines that are going to assemble that vehicle, um, being really, really critical. And that the the Model 3 has just been designed to be a lot simpler and less complex. Cool. That's a good... A good goal. Um, did you talk at all in, in talking about uh, ramping up for Model 3 production? Did they mention anything about the, um, there's been some noise about worker unionization and some sort of issues at the uh, Fremont factory? Uh, was there any, surely someone must have asked him about that and, and how it might impact production? Yeah, he, um, he said that there's certainly a strong effort uh, by the UAW um, United Auto Workers to unionize Tesla, um, that a lot of Tesla employees have been approached um, to unionize, uh, but that many of the claims that were made in a blog post by a Tesla employee, but that Elon Musk um, deems a de facto United Auto Workers employee uh, as false, and um, he issued a memo to his staff, uh, to the entire company, um, that the injury rate is less than half of any other auto uh, manufacturing facility they are the and highest ju- judging Go by ahead. the in- judging by the instagram feed of their parking lot i'd imagine most of those injuries are caused in their parking lot yeah the par- the parking lot did come up he said that's his biggest headache right now is where to park everyone <laughs> um so he they need more volumetric 
parking. Um, but ba- back to the union, uh, he also said that they are the highest paid and uh, that the United Auto Workers were conveniently excluding the uh, stock-based compensation that, of course, you need to include um, because that, it's a very large component of their uh, performance and also Tesla continues to grow and the stock price is doing well. Yeah, um, that's a big deal in Silicon Valley. Yeah, and, uh, and so essentially his point was that the um, there would only be disadvantages if someone went with the UAW because they would, as evidence, they, the UAW has not led to plants being better safety-wise or pay-wise than Tesla factories already are. So the primary reason, in Elon Musk's view, to want to unionize would be to bring the standard up from where it is to some better baseline. But his criticism was that the United Auto Workers have not been able to, as evidenced by what they've done at Ford and GM and Toyota and other plants, they're not better than Tesla. So why would you expect that they would have better results with Tesla? So that was his argument. He doesn't expect that it will unionize. His direct quote was, I do not think, I don't think that it is likely to occur in response to, uh, would, do you think it's going to turn into a union? Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the other things that, that came out as part of the manufacturing side of the house was that, um, there's not only the production process, but the actual model three design itself. And some of the details I thought were kind of intriguing. Um, one was that because the three is such a simpler vehicle to produce, um, it also uses fewer parts and parts more efficiently. And so he gave the example that, uh, the model uh, S and X um, used three kilometers of wire in their wiring harness throughout the vehicle, and the Model Three only uses 1.5 kilometers, so half the amount of wires in the car. That's, that's crazy to contemplate. Yeah, I mean, one that's, that's a like massive a mile amount of wires. wires. Yeah, yeah, it's huge amount of wiring, and then uh, you think about all those connection points and like stringing that through the vehicle and. Ugh, just so much stuff, right? So that, that must mean that there's both a, a reduction in the amount of point-to-point wires, like individual wires. It sort of implies there's more sub-assembly um, where you would plug into one thing that then has its own connections that are possibly much shorter runs. Um, and that potentially there are just fewer things that need power as well. And one of the examples he gave was that it, you know, the Model 3 it does, doesn't have as many of the, the bells and whistles that the SNX do, like self-presenting door handles, which have to sense when you're getting close, uh, have to actually mechanically uh, re- extrude themselves from, from the door, um, that the Falcon wing doors uh, have many, many moving parts, have more moving parts than the motors do. Um, and so those sorts of features are just not going to be a part of the Model 3, which um, not only reduces the cost, but reduces the risk that the production capability cannot ramp up quickly. And also increases the amount of things that can be automated about their production because it's simpler. So sort of three things are benefited by not having those sorts of features. And the one that came out that was most uh, interesting, which we'll talk about later on, but I wanted to mention here, was that the Model 3 is only going to have one screen, where the SNX have two screens, uh, the big 17-inch touchscreen and then also the six to eight inch binnacle screen um and that each of those have their own separate computer that runs them so the model 3 is only gonna have one screen which 
we'll That's talk not about counting the heads up display, right? Hey, 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 no, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> I, I, we have to talk about this because I'm right. confused. Mom's the word. Got it. Mom's the word for now. Um, and, and so one of the other things on the manufacturing efficiency is going to be parts. So one of the things they pointed out was that when they were doing Model S, uh, they were not taken seriously as a manufacturer. You know, they had just been doing the Roadster and the expectation by the official um, sort of uh, provider of information to parts suppliers about how many cars a manufacturer is going to make, um, they were estimated to be only making 3,000 cars in its entire lifetime. Uh, obviously, they're doing over 50,000 Model S's a year now, so they were quite wrong. But, but it had this uh, pernicious effect where essentially really high-end uh, suppliers didn't want to work with Tesla because they weren't going to have enough volume. If you're working with GM and Ford and Audi and all these guys doing tens of millions of vehicles a year, and then someone says, hey, we want you to, you, we want you to do our, uh, our computer, or we want you to do our wind, windshield wipers, uh, and we're only going to do 3,000, they weren't giving them the time of day. And this so... And this is because it would cost them a lot of money to kind of like tool up a factory to build these parts or inject injection molding or whatever, all that stuff. Exactly. Elon Musk called out specifically that, yeah, the, the fixed cost to get started for any of these projects is very high. And so you need to spread that out over lots and lots of parts being produced. Um, and also that many people expected that Tesla would go bankrupt. So many of these suppliers just never thought they'd be paid. So what ended up happening is they ended up working with not the best suppliers. And not only that, uh, if you imagine in a not best supplier company, there's also really good teams and not so good teams. And so in Elon's view, they got not the best suppliers and not the best teams. <laughs> and that led to not high quality parts, not very reliable delivery and high cost. So and this was not a big sales pitch to buy a used Tesla. No, it, it, exactly. <laughs> not a good sales pitch for that. And so what they, obviously with Model 3, one of the benefits of doing the pre-order was to prove that demand was there and demand was at a very high level. And so really smart beyond just Tesla wanting the pre-sales for sort of the revenue that they could use, the cash they could use for um, production, it, it's actually more important to prove to the suppliers that they are going to be a really big car manufacturer. And, and so they've actually now been able to work with the very best suppliers of Tesla's choice, be able to dictate the terms much more strongly and work with the very best teams inside those companies. And so Elon wanted to point this out to the, to the, to the, the investor community and the, the larger community that, you know, they, they produced one of the best cars from suppliers that they didn't feel were the best. Now they get to work with the best suppliers um, who are used to doing huge programs with huge volumes, and they're really excited to be working with them. And it just sort of reminded me of sort of, uh, the way in which Apple is able to work with suppliers and get what they want out of them. Um, and they do such huge volumes that people are very excited to work with them, uh, was really, really important. Um, and going to be critical to ensuring they have enough parts, um, for what they intend to produce. Makes sense. One other thing, sorry, there's just so much here. Um, one of the other things, <laughs> I'm just trying to, trying to focus on the things I found most intriguing that probably I don't think they got enough reporting. Um, I get it. It's Christmas morning. Yeah. I want to rip these presents open. Um, so one of the other things that comes from being well-respected and not being expected to go into bankruptcy is that the payment terms uh, have been stretched out as well. So 
you most people have to buy something they have to pay cash uh, the next best is putting it on credit uh, or 30 day payment terms uh, which is common in the business world what tesla's been able to do is actually extend their payment terms to 59 days on the model 3 parts on average jason wheeler their cfo gave that number and so what that does is it helps with their capital requirements so essentially they can uh, order the parts for a car and they have 60 days to pay it back so if they can produce the car and have it delivered to the customer in time they will actually be able to uh, not have to actually outlay any cash uh, and that is a really sweet spot to be in when you can make something that is thirty thousand dollars or fifteen twenty thousand um, dollars and not have to pay any cash for it until you receive money from the customer uh, that's pretty special situation to be in which allows them to just make as many cars as they want and just print profit uh, assuming <laughs> things go well i guess on the flip side though it makes it very risky to have any sort of stoppages of the uh, production process if your manufacturing line goes down or something not only are things backing up but you have all these kind of all the all these clocks have been started for when things need to be paid back absolutely Absolutely. And I think that's one of the other reasons why the seriousness with which they have to um, be confident they can produce the vehicles at the rate they expect. Um, they can't build up too much inventory of parts because, yeah, they'll have to pay for those parts, but they won't have cash from customers. So, so that is risky. Um, and so what they shared was actually the schedule uh, that they're going to be placing parts with their parts suppliers because they have this interesting situation where uh, – if Tesla starts to mention that they're planning to slip, it will give their suppliers reason to slip as well, which will cause them to slip even further. And so he, he had to tell people, the suppliers, even though we're planning to start in July, um, we, actually, we, we actually need parts sooner. And we're planning to order enough parts for 1,000 cars a month in July, a week rather, 2,000 cars a week in August, and 4,000 cars a week in September. Even though they probably won't get to that level in production, they still need that many parts. Um, that's so that's interesting because we we talk a lot about Tesla's ability to ramp up assembly of all these vehicles, but ultimately that means there has to be uh, essentially an equivalent ramp up curve in every one of the suppliers that are manufacturing the individual parts that go into these vehicles. Yeah, exactly. They they all have to move in lockstep and. Any one of them that's late causes none of the cars to get made or be made at such a high price because they have to manufacture the part by hand, which uh, they, they said could cost between 10 and 30 times more per piece than if it were supplied by the supplier directly. Um, and that there's really three stages, right? There's the parts arriving, there's the parts being turned into a car, and then there's the car being delivered to the customer. Tesla doesn't receive the money, can't recognize the revenue until the customer receives the car. So those are three discrete steps. And, uh, you know, when you say the car has been delivered, how many deliveries will they do is different than how many they'll produce, which is different from how many parts they have on hand to be able to produce some number of vehicles. Um, so that's another pipeline problem. And obviously, you'd like all of those to be equal. But it never happens instantaneously. There's some amount of lag between each of those two, each of those three steps. So, again, it's extremely complex. Um, but Elon Musk does a pretty good job of helping people re remember that this is. Uh, it, it can be broken down into simpler 
concepts and uh, and not to get too far ahead of yourselves in like well they want to make half a million cars a year they want to do 5000 cars a week um they actually need more parts than that ahead of that to actually be able to pull it off um so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah i guess you can also go to the suppliers and do the same spiel about uh hey my other company can land a rocket on a barge in the middle of the ocean we're going to be able to build this damn car Yes, he's he's done that. I mean, he one of the one of the companies that was giving them the most trouble was their die makers. Um, so the metal objects that are used in the stamping presses that exert tens of tons of force on metal to turn the flat metal into the body panels. Um, he he said, uh, if a, if a human can be created in nine months, a stamp, a die should be able to be made in less time than that. Um, oh, we're getting, almost getting into a almost getting into a mythical man month argument here. Yeah, that that would not go over well with the uh, engineers in the room. Um, <laughs> so, so that's sort of the manufacturing side of things, um, the parts and the the production design. Um, but then they need to actually make this stuff. So that's sort of the theoretical side of things. What the product is, to be simpler, what their theoretical goals are in the automation, and then what they're doing on the supplier side to make sure the parts that are coming from these uh, hundreds of suppliers are of higher quality, on time ready when tesla wants them but they actually have to be doing work at fremont um their production facility to prepare and also at the gigafactory so uh as we mentioned in early february they started building prototypes um to to test the vehicle so they have um they they said they have all the stamping equipment they need right now Um, that's one of the biggest pieces is building out the body panels um so Elon said, it's not a question, will they have what they need? It's really a question of how long is it going to take to work out the bugs in the stamping line? So there's dozens of, of pieces that need to be stamped from the fenders to the hood, to the, to the top part, to the metal that the seat actually sits on, to the seat frames, all these different parts, to the, the sub-assembly for where the battery packs are going to go into, all the steel and aluminum that's going to be in the car is stamped. And so that's sort of the first piece of getting that core chassis that you've seen in all these videos rolling down the line. Uh, And so he's not concerned about that anymore because he knows that their team is aware that that's slightly at risk. So he doesn't view it's actually at risk anymore. Um, Sort of this interesting paradox that as soon as they know there's a problem, it's actually very unlikely to be the problem in a few months. Um, and that it's more like whack-a-mole where each week some (laughs) issue comes up, they start solving it. And the thing that worries them now is not what they know is a problem, but what they don't know is a problem that will Uh, the unknown unknowns, the unknown unknowns are the current risk factor. And so given what they know now, everything should be fine with stamping and they've started doing tests, but they haven't started running at full production and not, it doesn't sound like all the dyes are there. So uh, anything they're producing is not quite the full production level stamping. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to see when that actually comes out. If they say in the next quarter or the quarter after that, that stamping is, is solid because they're going to need to do more road testing. They need to do more track testing. They need to do more hot weather, hot weather, cold weather validation. And so they need to build more prototypes. And if the stamping line isn't even ready to do that, doing these by hand is going to be very, very costly and very time consuming. And isn't this going to be a different material than they've been using for the SNX? Like, isn't there going to be more steel than, I believe, aluminum that they've been using? So that that could probably change things as well. 
Yeah, they exactly. They plan to be using uh, more steel. Uh, most of the S body and X body is aluminum. It, it sounds like most of the, uh, of the body for the uh, three will be steel. Um, and so, yeah, they, their particular team hasn't done steel. Uh, the one advantage is that the majority of vehicles made are uh, steel and that the few that are now made aluminum, aluminum is more difficult uh, to stamp. Yep. And so and perhaps, weld, yeah, yeah, exactly. Perhaps they will have a slightly easier time. Um, but the problem is they're going to be doing it at such a fast rate um, that it's possible that the rate increase will be overshadowed by the decreased difficulty of steel. Um, but obviously, almost all cars are stamped. Um, so it's not as if it's a totally new technology. Uh, it's something that needs to be dialed in. And the question is, do they have enough time to dial it in? Um, between now and July 1st uh, to really get going. Um, well, actually before then, but um, a little bit nervous. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, that's one I'm watching is, is stamping because uh, I, I think that's, that's the one he's talked about the most as being slightly concerned about. Um, so if Elon is concerned about it, being as optimistic as he is, that's a little nerve-wracking <laughs> <laughs> all right um so okay let's let's dive into the uh do you want to dive into the july release then and talk about like what what that means like what they're shooting for 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 july yeah so we now have the most more way more concrete information about what they expect to do production wise and numbers wise so i'll try and break it out as easily as possible doing numbers on a pot audio format can be tricky so i'll, I'll try and make it as, uh, as clear as possible. So they plan to start volume production in July. And when I say volume production, that implies a rate that would be uh, able to be sold to customers um, in the hundreds to thousands instead of in the dozens like they did with the Model X. Um, so they intend by the end of 2017, so the end of this year, to be producing 5,000 cars a week which would be uh, about two and a half times what they produce now uh, per week. Well, about two times what they produce now uh, per week. So they hope by the end of this year, in the next six months or so, uh, well, I guess nine months, the next nine months to go from where they're at now to 2x two, two that on just the Model 3. Um, I have a silly question. <laughs> I, in all of this, we've been focusing, and maybe they didn't mention this in the call, but we've been focusing on the factory's ability to produce that many vehicles per day, per week, whatever. Um, but in that Fremont factory, I guess I'm kind of wondering how do they plan on getting all of those vehicles that are being produced out of that factory? It's like gridlock all day long around that factory. I guess they could ship them all out at night. Yeah, I think they're going to have a ton of shipments at night, and I think they're also going to do the majority of the deliveries at the factory to begin with. Um, but at some point, they'll be using a lot of them on rail cars going out, um, and eventually the Tesla semis. But uh, the, the plant did used to produce 450,000 or so cars a year. So um, it, it is possible for that plant to have enough loading docks to you know, move those cars out on semis, but it'll clearly be a beehive of activity. I mean, I think it will be impossible to be driving around that factory and not see loads and loads and loads of Model 3s on trucks, um, where today it's kind of, a, kind of special to see Model Xs or Xs on 
a delivery truck. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they plan to be at 5,000 cars per week by the end of this um, year. And then at some point in 2018, be at 10,000 cars a week. And that was, that was their exact language. At some point in 2018, 10,000 vehicles per week. <laughs> Is that an official like financial analyst term? Yeah, that, that did not make them super happy. Um, they wanted to know when. Um, so if you think about 10,000 cars a week, that's about um, half, a million, uh, half a million cars a year. And then 5,000 cars a week is about 250,000 cars a year. Um, so that's why you can see that next year they expect to be at that half a million vehicle rate uh, because they'll have about 100,000 or so for SNX and then plus or minus 400,000 for, for three. Um, so how, how, will, how many cars will they make in 2017? It's a big question. A lot of our listeners are curious because it, it depends on, uh, it will influence when they're likely to get their vehicle. So July 1st to July, July 1st to December 31st is six months. So that's 26 weeks. If we go back to the most optimistic view of the number of parts they've ordered per week, so we know how many parts they've ordered per week because Elon told us. So we can then figure out how many cars per month in the most optimistic case uh, Tesla expects to do. So in July, we could expect at best 4,000 vehicles. In August, 8,000 Model 3s. In September, 16,000. In October, 20,000. November, 20,000. And December, 20,000. Which would lead to a cumulative 2017 total of the optimistic case of 88,000 Model 3s. What's your reaction to 88,000 Model 3s in 2017? <laughs> that sounds very optimistic, but hey, you know, they, the, other, the other company can land a rocket on a barge, so who knows? I'm not saying no to anything. Anything seems possible right now. So I would put that as the upper bound. So Yeah, well, that seems fair. So that means uh, 88,000 um, is just about like 20% or so. Um, 21, 21% of the current order book. Um, so, you know, a fifth of people who have a reservation right now may potentially be able to get their car, which would mean four fifths of people are not going to get their car in 2017. So were you expecting to get yours in 2017? Well, I think there's a chance I'll get my car in 2017, uh, but we'll oh, you're, talk about you're that. a day one guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. The important thing he wanted to point out was that the production ramp follows an S-curve. And so um, it's a mathematical concept where essentially if you think about an S-oriented like it normally is, but kind of sideways, um, it, uh, yeah, that's actually a weird way to think about it. But anyways. Well, well it just uh, makes it sound like he's talking about the growth curve of the Model S. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, <laughs> yes, it's not the S-curve, it is the s-curve um it's like an s in italics basically yeah. where, the, where the top part is pushed forward yeah so it, production will start up very slowly and the amount of vehicles you can make per period of time won't seem like it's increasing very much but it actually is and then at some point it will reach an inflection point and go exponential and so the rate of improvement will go very quickly and per unit of time, many more vehicles will be produced each period. And then at some point, it will flatten out at that half a million vehicles per year. And the challenge is uh, any adjustment in one week forward or one week back could have a really big impact on where you are in that ramping up period. And so the, the challenge is they don't actually know 
when in July or when in August it will really start to pick up when those bugs will be worked out from the production system. But they have more confidence that by the end of the year, uh, they will have figured that out and that they will be at that rate of production of 5,000 per week. So it could be that they only make a couple thousand uh, in 2017 because they can basically not make any progress in those six months and they end up you know, exiting with only 10,000 vehicles. Or it could be that in July, things are really tuned in and by the end of July, they're humming along and right up that, that curve in the most ideal case. So it, it's not, it's not going to be a case where they're going to be able to make all the cars in 2017 if everything goes well. The most they could really make is at 88,000, and the worst they could do is zero. So that's where we're going to have to figure out over the next few months what's the more likely scenario. Um, so we'll continue to monitor that, but um, just to give people sort of a the error bars on that are still huge. <laughs> so somewhere between zero and all, and we're going to try and no zero and eighty eight thousand. I'm going to oh, say okay. zero and eighty eight thousand. All, all would right. be four hundred and four hundred thousand. I'm, I'm not I'm not willing to say that. I, I think the error bars are <laughs> zero to eighty eighty thousand. Okay, that's fine. Um, one good thing: Gigafactory is on track. Uh, Gigafactory is going to make the cells, the packs, the power electronics, the inverters. Whole bunch of work there. Um, and it sounds like everything's going smoothly with Gigafactory. Doesn't sounds like JB Straubel has been on top of that. It's been going well. Um, they're very happy with it. So it doesn't look like Gigafactory is going to have many problems at all. Um, and so if there are any problems in, in Gigafactory, that will clearly throw a huge wrench in the problem because they have not been expecting that to have any problems. Is the Gigafactory producing for the S and the X, or is it just going to be building out for the three? Oh, the Gigafactory will primarily just be X, uh, three to begin with, and then they will slowly, once they have more capacity, use those cells and packs for S and X. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and at some point next year, they're going to have to go from that 5,000 a week to 10,000 a week. And rather than just spin up another line, like many car companies do, where they'll just have two lines, um, what their first plan of attack will be to just speed it up, basically turn up the volume... <laughs> And just run everything faster. And they've modeled out what it will take to do that. Um, they expect it will, it will cost about 50 to 75% of the 3 to $4 billion investment it's taken to get to Model 3 um, to get to that double capacity. Uh, but they're not obviously focused too much on that right now. Uh, they did say that you know, when they have the opportunity to uh, build something such that it would support the full half a million instead of just the 250000 they're doing it. Um, but the primary goal is on that 5,000 a week target, not the 10,000 a week target. Um, so get it running first and then crank it up to 11. Exactly. Yeah. So timing employees are going to get the cars first. We knew this, uh, was the case because they opened up the model three reservations a few days early for model, uh, for Tesla employees and SpaceX employees. Um, and the best estimate we have is that those folks placed 10,000 orders. Did the um, Solar City employees get to retroactively join in on this? I don't know. I think they must now. I bet that's the case. And they have a lot more employees. They have a lot of field employees. So that number might be low. Maybe it's 20,000 orders for employees. And Elon said that, um, you know, the important thing about this is that the initial cars will go to these employees because it's a really great feedback loop. Um, because if there are any issues, they're employees, they're bound by non-disclosure, um, 
And uh, if there's any bugs or anything, they have direct access to the teams to fix them. So that's sort of how they're going to shortcut uh, a lot of the validation and testing <laughs> is they're just going to make the cars, sell them to their sell them to their employees. And if everything looks good, ramp up faster. And if things are looking bad, then they'll fix those issues. Um, but they'll at least be producing them as real sales um, and uh, versus like a very small pilot fleet, you know, of a couple hundred or a couple thousand cars. Um, so they're so doing the, be, the Silicon Valley approach of dog fooding. Basically, they're eating yeah, their own dog food. They're eating their own dog food and selling it um, <laughs> and making people pay for it. Um, <laughs> most Silicon Valley companies give the product to their employees for free. So this one is interesting. <clears throat> you still have to pay 35,000 um, bucks. So then customers will get it after the employees. So that 88,000 uh, for 2017 upper bound, if we reduce that by 20,000, because we're going to say the SpaceX, Tesla, and uh, Solar City are going to get those first. That would leave 66,000, uh, sorry, 68,000 for, uh, for real customers. Um, so when you look at that ramp rate, it doesn't look like anyone from outside is going to get it in July. It doesn't look like anyone's going to get it in August. Uh, but possibly in September, if things go well, that seems like the earliest anyone would really get the car. Um, and then October seems like it's possible that some of the earliest people in line in California who were previous owners would start getting it. So my expectation is that I might be able to get it some point in November, December, if I'm lucky, because I was one of the first day people and I'm like 20 miles from the factory. <laughs> I will be there in 20 minutes. I'll, I will show up whenever they want. If they want to do a delivery <laughs> at midnight, I'll be there. Um, and so the question is, when am I going to be able to configure this thing? Um, they said they're actually going to open up configuration pretty close to production. Um, they're going to open it up internally uh, for the Tesla employees slightly before July um, and then for customers right after. So he said probably three or four months away, which to my math would be June or July, um, where you'd actually be able to go onto the website and configure it. So even though I might not get the car till December, uh, people will be able to start configuring it potentially in June or July. Um, so you'll be able to start the clock on waiting in June or July. And they did something similar with Model X where they actually announced the final vehicle and did the deliveries for the first few people at the same time because they don't plan to actually do the, um, another reveal until July now. Uh, it was expected that the Part 3 reveal would happen in March um, or April, but it looks like he's planning to do that in July right before production. So they've got a couple more tricks up their sleeves, and it sounds like they just don't want to talk about Model 3 until the last possible second. Or maybe they just don't have the Part, part 3 ready yet. Maybe they don't know what it is. Maybe they're just trying to figure it out. I, I, don't, I don't believe that's true, but maybe they want to have more vehicles ready and they just want to deliver it and just try and be like, and it's shipping today kind of situation <laughs> to the few people who are going to come on stage, probably some of their investors and Sergey Brin and folks like that. Um, they're increasing the service centers and superchargers in advance. Um, they're going to double the number of superchargers in the U.S. ahead of the launch this year. Um, they're going to keep expanding the Ranger service. Um, apparently 80% of the repairs they've done this year, they could have been done based on their mobile team instead of coming into the, into the, um, service center. 
So that will reduce the amount of people who need to go to service centers for Model 3. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're going to increase the number of superchargers from around 800 to 1,600. Um, and does that mean, one of, does that mean making up, I'm um, sorry, does that mean opening up new locations or increasing capacity at their existing locations or a combination? This sounded like uh, they said supercharger locations are going to double in North America. <clears throat> um, so that would be discrete spots. Um, but one thing, one trend this year is that even though locations were only up 36% uh, compared to 2015, the number of uh, charging uh, connections, like the plugs, was up 46%. So that implies that they're making slightly larger supercharger uh, stations than they had been in previous years. Um, and one new stat is destination chargers, those things at hotels and malls and things, uh, was up 120% year over year. And that kind of caught me surprise, uh, caught me by surprise. And so it actually surpassed superchargers for the first time this year. So there's more destination charger plugs than supercharger plugs now, which is kind of cool. Interesting. And those are what, like half the rate of, uh, the superchargers? Uh, no, they're, they're, they're even less than that. They're like maybe maybe a fifth they they can do about 20 miles an hour and the superchargers can do like 150 miles an hour oh okay yeah actually like a 7.5 yeah um one other thing we learned um was that they're going to be delivering a lot more cars and uh currently delivery takes quite a while they have to teach you how to use a car so they're actually producing videos um Elon seemed really excited about this. They're producing high-quality videos that they will have in the car. You can watch them in the car or on your iPhone or on the website to learn how to use your vehicle. And also cutting down on the amount of paperwork you have to sign um, and just, like, making it a lot easier for you to show up at the time you need and scheduling such that they can deliver cars a lot faster because they don't want to build three or four times the more facilities for deliveries, uh, and the delivery centers are already busy. so. The big thing the sales team is working on is not how to generate more sales, but how to deliver vehicles quicker. So I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that works out for everyone, right? I don't think anyone wants to go and spend a lot of time picking up their car. You want to kind of go get it and be on your way. Yeah, I mean, I want to roll in, sign my name on an iPad, check the vehicle, and get out of there in like 15 minutes. should be faster than a rental car. Yeah. That's my hope. (laughs) So... The big, big thing is there's still some product unknowns. They didn't, they, he, he was saying they're not willing to have the final unveil and reveal the details of the vehicle until July. And not willing or not able? Well, uh, he, <laughs> we're not sure. Um, he, he basically said that, uh, Elon basically said that there's some things about the car that uh, will be even better than they showed off. Um, there's details being tweaked, um, but uh, he thinks it should be uh, quite a bit better, actually, than what they showed off. But he tried to make it clear that there aren't going to be some crazy, crazy new things. Um, what does crazy mean? I don't know. He said he's, there's more polish and refinement and a few details that are added, but better than, than what was unveiled. And I guess in some ways it will be a lot better. So <laughs> that's what we got. That's very specific. Very specifically nonspecific. And so the one screen thing, you brought it up earlier. I'm really confused about whether or not there's going to be a HUD. Yeah. So here's some of the things. Um, And a lot of this has been discussed, but here's what's running through my head. So I need need your uh, 
I need your, your consultation, your thoughts. So they're trying to make this car simple, simpler than the SNX. A HUD does not seem like reducing complexity. It seems like it's adding some complexity because A, they've never done this before. And uh, it also contradicts their claim in the past that the SNX will always get new technology before the three would. Right. And so if they're going to do a HUD, it would imply that they're, they would need to roll it out on the SNX possibly before. And I don't see them rolling out big updates to the SNX before the Model 3 comes out. So that's a little strange. But if you say, okay, they're not going to have a HUD, they're just going to rely on that single screen, that's fine for just like speedometer. But what about the autopilot features, the, seeing the lanes? It's not good enough to not see the lanes. Uh, what about it, turn signals and lights and windshield wipers and all these different indicators, like the side collision warning, all these things. I don't know where they would display them. And I don't think it makes sense to display those on the center screen. So I'm really confused about where that information will go if there isn't a screen in front of you, which we are quite confident now there won't be a screen in front of you. So I'm kind of perplexed because so many things are contradictory from what Tesla has said. And I honestly don't have a good idea yet of what will happen. I, I'm actually less confident now. Um, and so I'm confused. <laughs> well, I mean, you could argue that the S and the X wouldn't need to get the HUD first because they have the binnacle. So it would be mm -hmm. kind of redundant. So if you might be able to argue that you could put the HUD in the Model 3, but not the Model S and X without violating the promise that they would get it first because it's a sort of a different branch i guess mm -hmm. it's uh it's a, it's you could view it as the same feature as the binnacle um but you could also argue that that maybe you can get everything on that center screen and maybe uh in landscape mode you could kind of split it in half or i i would even say that the autopilot stuff is is pretty modal like once you engage autopilot you don't really need to see anything else you don't who, who cares how fast the car is going you know it's going the speed limit um, that maybe the more detailed controls would be hidden when it's in autopilot mode, uh, and you would just see the uh, what's going on. And when you disengage autopilot, uh, then you would actually get more of the detailed controls. Uh, I don't know. Those are the, that's a couple of options. Does it, does any of that help you out? That makes sense intellectually, but um, I just think it's so weird. Like I'm I'm trying to separate my uh, historical bias of driving a car with the instrument cluster right in front of me below my sight line from what would the ideal car be? And I, you've, you've tried to push us in the right direction of challenging what a car's interface needs to be. So I'm curious if I'm just lagging and holding on to a concept that isn't required where I have a safety blanket of feeling I need to see all this information and I really don't because I should just be looking out the front and if the interface is so intuitive with the correct sounds, then I should trust what's happening and I don't need to see it. And if I do need to see it, I can glance over to the side and see it on the screen. So I'm inclined from my minimalist desires to believe it's possible to create an interface on that center screen that would accommodate the information needs of the vehicle uh, such that it would be pleasing. But for some reason, I'm, I'm generally in the mode of reducing and pulling interface out like you know me i'm a big fan of that but for some reason i'm having a really hard time believing that's possible given the amount of information that has to be displayed for a car especially in its current state where you're still involved in the driving 
the process that it just seems really uh, unlikely. And so if it comes true, I'm concerned it will be a bad experience. But that is also then tempered by the fact that I don't think the folks at Tesla would allow that to happen because they're using this vehicle. And that seems like such a problem to have the thing that you experience day in and day out driving the vehicle be suboptimal or not even suboptimal, but bad. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still confused. <laughs> have you uh, rented or driven a vehicle with a center uh, instrument console? I guess the only one I'm really thinking of is I think the mini Cooper and maybe some early Priuses had the, yeah. had the, all this stuff in the center. I think the mini Cooper would have like the, uh, they had the tack in front of you. Right, RPM. yeah. yeah. But beyond that, you really didn't... I've done yeah. both. I've driven both, and uh, the Prius was strange having the speedometer in the center, but but the, the, the Prius is so simplistic that um, I was still in control of driving. And so when I turn the turn signal, I can hear the clicking. And speed, I generally have a pretty good sense of the speed I'm going, and I can glance over if I'm concerned. The Tesla... In the driving we've done of the X and the S, there was so much more information contextually about the state of where I was, and the autopilot stuff is really the wrinkle. If the car didn't have any sort of autopilot-style features, I wouldn't be having this um, internal debate. But the autopilot features are the thing I really can't fit into the square peg um, because you, right now you see the lines to indicate when you can turn it on. You see the two indicators of the steering wheel and the speed um letting you know that it's active you it flashes at you to get your attention before it turns into an auditory alarm and many of those things don't seem like they would be useful for the passenger to be looking at and would need to be durably on the screen like you said sort of as a modal so you can see it but then there's nav like uh what the next turn is and things like that that the current model s shows you so I'm I'm really curious. This is the biggest question mark in my mind because the interface of this is so important to me. Uh, being being a designer of sorts, I just I'm really really curious, and I and I can't solve it. I I can't figure out how you would do it really well. And I obviously haven't spent nearly as much time as they have on it, but there isn't an obvious solution coming to mind except for some sort of HUD. Um, or but, just, I mean, maybe they just played a, a radical game of five whys and just removed a lot of stuff that, like, even you mentioned nav, like, that's another thing that you really don't need to see when it's in autopilot mode, right? Because it, it's going where it needs to go. But, but it's not, a ve- I mean, that, that's the thing. They would have to be saying, we're not going to show it because at some point we won't need it. But when the car launches, I think you're still going to need it. Like, you're still oh, going right, to be yeah. the one driving. So that, that's the problem. In five or 10 years, I can say, sure no like i don't care just have that one screen or have it be detachable or whatever it's this transitionary period where maybe they've made the call that they're going to commit to something for what the future of the vehicle is going to be and sacrifice some of the short-term usability of the car um but i think it's going to piss off a lot of people if that's what they decided (laughs) to do um so anyways really curious what happens there we don't know options on pricing for the different uh battery packs or anything like that so people are gonna have to keep waiting there which i think is slightly slightly rude um because if they know those prices they should be telling people because people are going to start to need to plan what their next vehicle is it's not that easy to just say okay it's time to buy my new tesla uh 
most people need time to transition. So the sooner they can make that information available, the sooner people could actually start committing to this plan. Now, the reality is when they showed the thing in July, the configurator, it may still be six months before you're going to get your car. So you'll have plenty of time. So this could be moot. But <laughs> if it's the case that they're like, okay, time to configure and it's going to be delivered in two months or a month, that might be problematic for some folks and they might have to defer. Um, it sounds like it's getting a little personal. Like you would like access to this as soon as possible. Yes. I want to know what this thing is going to be. We're coming up on a year. I'm getting antsy. I really just want to know what, what's going on with this car. Yeah. I, I, I really would like to spec this thing out and just get it, get it locked up, get it ready. Yeah, I mean, if at, at this day, on this day next year, you're going to be driving around in this vehicle. You need to know what so. it's going to be. Yeah. yeah, why not? Um, in closing, uh, the CFO has stepped away. Uh, Jason Wheeler, their CFO, is leaving at the end of next month. Uh, I don't think it's burying the lead because uh, their former CFO, uh, Deepak Ahuja, has come back. Um, so he was their CEO, their first CFO, um, and he was there for seven years. Apparently, Jason Wheeler is going into the public sector. Um, and uh, Deepak's coming back as a full-time CFO. It's on an interim thing. Uh, and Deepak was previously at uh, Ford for 15 years. So he uh, in, a, in a CFO controller role. So a little unusual to have a CFO come for a year and a half and leave. But um, it seems like Tesla likes working with people they've worked with for a long time um, versus new people. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it looks like cash-wise, they plan to spend 2 to $2.5 billion between now and the Model 3. So if we remember, they have about three point five in the bank. That would potentially put them at uh, $1.5 to $1 billion in cash. Uh, apparently, Elon thinks that might be a little risky, a little too low. So it looks like they'll probably raise some cash. Uh, the stock price has been doing pretty well, so they'll probably go back and raise a couple billion dollars in equity. Um, not that unusual, but, uh, they alluded to that, give them some cushion and, uh, it looks like they're going to continue to run at a loss, uh, probably until they're past the half a million cars a year with model three, primarily because, uh, as we were talking about the gross margin on these vehicles is such that going from the 5,000 cars a week to 10,000 cars a week is the difference between, uh, you know, a billion a month in revenue to like 2 billion a month in revenue. And at 20% gross margin, uh, that's like $400 million a month. So Starting to talk about real money there. You're talking about real money. So if you push forward a few hundred million dollars in capital expenditure to speed up the production line, you would do that all day long to get that extra you know, $1.2 billion of three months quicker. So typical uh, startup style of uh, paying today for future growth faster um, so nothing unusual there, but it looks like you should not expect profits anytime soon, primarily because they're just going to plow that cash forward to get to their full production capacity. Profits and lastly, like, like dividend payments. Oh, even just, even just like income, uh, okay. just free cash flow. Um, gotcha. and lastly, uh, it looks like Elon is still confident they will do half a million cars in 2018 and a million cars in 2020. He said that given the, bet, given the information he has today, he thinks that is still the most likely outcome. All right. Hope springs eternal. Yes. So um, Ship it. 
<laughs> this was a very, very big earnings call. The most Model 3 information we've got to date. I think next quarter will be people starting to get really concerned uh, because if next quarter isn't going well production-wise, they will really need to tell people they're going to slip in July. And uh, people are going to get antsy because Model S and X may or may not have a great demand. And we're still just going to be waiting and trying to suss out any details for Model 3. I sure, think we'll you need some... to cultivate some sources inside Tesla. I'm, I'm going to try. If, if anyone's listening from Tesla and, and wants to, uh, I, will honor, uh, I, I will honor your anonymity. Um, we will even and... let you pick your code name. That's true. You do not yeah. have to choose Deep Throat as your code no. name. Or anything derivative of that, you can pick whatever you want. Yeah. So I'm very encouraged by these results. Um, I think people could, it could have gone another way where they were saying they were going to be behind. And because they had mentioned July 1st in the past and they're sticking with July 1st. Um, so that's good news. And uh, the ramp is a lot quicker than I was expecting. So that's good. And, um, I just really want to see what this car is going to look like. So (laughs) as soon as they open up those configurators or as soon as we start seeing more prototype cars driving around, I want spy shots. I want as many spy (laughs) shots of that interior as possible. All right. So in our, I guess we do have sort of a tradition of of you giving them a school teacher style, a letter grade for their quarter. Um, what, what, What would you grade Q4 2016 for Tesla? I would give it a B minus. I, don't, uh, I should have actually looked up what you gave Q3 to. I, I think it was higher I'm than not, B minus. I think it was higher. I, they didn't hit their deliveries very well this uh, quarter. So their execution on SNX was not as strong as it should have been. But Model 3 was very strong. But again, this is still not something we can see. It's just what they're telling us. So I take them at their word, um, but the proof will be in the shipped vehicles in six months from now so they still Trust have but verify. Two more, yeah they still have two more at bats um so i'm really curious what will happen in the next two quarters from an information sharing point of view because they shared a lot about what's happening now so i would be shocked if we could do as much next time but it's never stopped us before so <laughs> all right so if uh, anyone wants to comment on this uh if anyone has any thoughts on q4 numbers or if anyone wants to become a, an anonymous source within tesla where can they reach us yes so you can send us a private comment on our website the teslashow.com uh you can just send us a message it'll come to us you can also leave a comment on the episode publicly uh you can at mention us at mention us on twitter at the tesla show and if you're into reddit we have a subreddit at r slash the tesla show and uh, I think that's it. Oh, we should set up some sort of secure communication thing like they have on uh, Washington Post and New York Times. I'll leave that to you to create some PGP magic. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. All right. Well, well just send us the message. Uh, I'm very lazy. Space. You, you got to remember how lazy I am. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Talk to you later, Mike. All right. Bye. Bye.